ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's that's where it all starts. Because it all starts taking care of business in house in the Central Division. That's right. I'm a meatball. You got to bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, happy Sunday, fun day, and welcome into Sox on Tap. It's Johnny Nani here. I've got Tony Marchese and NWI Steve along with me after the White Sox take a game three to one uh, from the Brewers on Sunday Night Baseball to salvage a series here. Boys, uh, good to be back uh, with a couple of faces here. Uh, you've been a two-man show for most of the season here, but good to have three of you on uh, tonight. Sunday, fun day. Let's get it going. Let's do it, Johnny. Hey, yo, boys. Let's go. Guys, we needed this one. This Sunday night game here, uh, looking bad. Uh, you know, Friday night uh, just got out of hand a little bit, uh, and then Saturday night was self-inflicted completely. And unfortunately, Tony, you were in attendance for those. Uh, rough, rough go of it, yeah. Yeah, it was a rough go. It was a good time. It was a good time. I, I'll, I'll say that. I, I'll give a a little report from Milwaukee um, a little bit later on. But it was a it was a rough go Friday and. Uh, and Saturday night in, in Milwaukee, at least watching the actual baseball part of that. Yeah, yeah, especially Saturday night with all of the uh, mental mistakes, uh, physical errors on the field as well. So uh, that didn't bode well. But tonight, Lance Lynn on the mound, boys. Uh, he comes through both on the mound and with the bat. Uh, he's a dual threat player, Otani Hu. Ooh, they're coming in hot, Johnny. Coming in very hot with that Otani Hu. Um, you know, I, I love seeing Lance Lynn get it started early. Um, you know, I was, I had just got back from the trip today and it had a little time to kill before the, uh, before the game. So I turned on MLB, the show for like the first time in forever. And, uh, I got destroyed by the Brewers. Uh, but Lance Lynn was the first hit for me, um, in MLB, the show this afternoon. And I saw Steve take him as the pick to click today, um, in our group chat. And, uh, yeah, Lance Lynn uh, with the bat, man. Just getting the job done. Help yourself. Help yourself. Might have to make the make a change to the saying here. It's not just guts and nuts anymore. It's guts, nuts, and RBIs. Yeah, dude, uh, it, it was it was unbelievable. Um, I, I was totally. It, it, let's it, we'll go back even further because this is the White Sox. Uh, you know, only you know the occurrence of scoring in this game uh, in the top of the second, um, and it was Zavala getting it started. Actually, another guy that you don't expect to. Uh, you know, get the job done, but he laces a RBI single up the middle, and then Lance Lynn with a two RBI single opposite field. Uh, took a fastball from Woodruff uh, out there to right field. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm glad that happened there because otherwise we would be, you know, we still probably are at some point in the show going to bitch about the White Sox offense because hey, scoring five runs all weekend against a team like the Brewers ain't going to get it done against any team really ain't going to get it done. Um, but obviously able to squeak it out tonight, and I think it's just fitting and shows what what a, what a gamer Lance Lynn is uh, all around. Yeah, Lance Lynn is just, I mean, he's much, 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 must, eh, I can't even talk right now. He's must-watch television. Just every time this guy's on the mound, and even now when he's up to bat, like you have to watch him because he just brings that energy, Johnny. He brings everything to the table for this team, and he goes balls out all the time. And the Sox have needed somebody like that, and I think it goes back to something that we've all discussed on this show over and over again the acquisition of Lance Lynn was the win now acquisition. Tony, I'm going to have to stop right there. I'm going to have to ask you this question here. Is the trade making any sense to anybody yet? Still no. Yeah. No, hard, hard to say. I, I, yeah. It's it's hard to understand what Rakan was thinking making this trade <laughs> to this to this no, day right no now. No fucking yeah. clue. Yeah. Never fail. We'll be asking it through the, all the extension. How about you extend him to what? Uh, yeah, this is going to be you know two years, maybe even three years of comedy gold now that uh, we we get to have. But um, you know, Johnny, kind of circling back on on this and, and talking about the three runs coming from the bottom part of the order. This is something that we've seen out of this team really throughout the entirety of this season. Here is guys that we're not expecting a lot from. 
stepping up in key pivotal spots. Sebi Zavala getting things started there with the RBI single. And then Lance Lynn, you know, being the, uh, you know, helping his own cause as um, they are contractually obligated to say when a pitcher gets an RBI in situations like that. Things that you're not anticipating happening uh, with this team. You know, everybody looks at it and they want to see Timmy. They want to see Jose Abreu. They want to see Yohan Makata be the guys, be the centerpieces that are leading this team to victory. But given the injuries and the inconsistencies that they've had at various points during this season, they've needed guys to step up and keep pivotal spots that they weren't expecting it from. And they got it again tonight. And that was huge. One more for the good guys. Damn right, Sean Janko. Um, yeah, it, it was. It was pivotal uh, coming up in just a consummation of uh, what the whole you know season's been about. Next man up, resiliency, um, uh, unexpected uh, places of production. So you'll have to see that. Only damage for Lynn came uh, in the bottom of the fifth. A uh, couple of back-to-back uh, extra base hits. Uh, Taylor went off, or excuse me, one out triple. And then Bradley uh, with the double right after that to bring him home. That would be the only blemish all night uh, for the White Sox here. Guys, uh, Lance Lynn finishes the night six innings. Uh, pitched six hits, one earned run, no walks, six strikes. Strikeouts, but I think we also need to give a little credit to Sebi Zavala behind the plate in pitch framing. Uh, Steve, if you want to go ahead and run with this because it was noticeable tonight. Yeah, Sebi was able to steal a number of strikes down below the strike zone. Um, and, and this was something we actually saw, I would say, on both sides here throughout most of the evening was that pitch down below the zone uh, getting called consistently here. But that's something that, look, Zach Collins just simply struggles with it. we got to be real about this um it's fair to say at this point zach collins is not a good defensive catcher i think that goes without saying and i i talked ad nauseum i think in our in our group chat about the fact that i think there's one thing that zach collins does at an okay level at the major league and that's hit against right-handed pitching he's not hitting for a ton of power but he's getting on base and and he's giving you some level of production that's the one thing he does he's not there because of his defense and it shows when you have a guy like Sebi in there who has consistently throughout the course of his minor league career and even in his brief cups of coffee at the big league level been a serviceable backup defensive catcher you know so when when you get a guy like that in there to help a guy like Lance Lynn, who's going to go and try to pound the zone, stealing you extra strikes. That's huge. And that's one of the things that this team is really missing by not having Yasmani Grandal here, who hopefully is back in very short order, which will only help to improve this pitching staff even more. I debate keeping uh, Sebi Zavala on the roster over Zach Collins when Grandal comes back. <laughs> I would. Yeah. That's a spicy meatball right there. Yeah, you want the meatball takes right here. Take the blanket away from Lucas Giolito for a second here and make him throw to somebody. If uh, Here's my thing. Who are you catering to? If, if, if Lance Lynn loves throwing to Sebi Zavala and you just signed this man to an extension and he's your guy, uh, and, I mean, uh, all the pitchers have raved about throwing to Sebi, I want a guy who's a defensive catcher in there um, you know, just on this roster as we head towards the crunch time here. If Zach Collins' only ability – is to just hit righties somewhat consistently. Um, you know, you've got Yasmani Grandal's bat in there most of the time. Uh, you've got plenty of options to play around with at DH. I'd rather have Zavala's defensive abilities on the roster over Zach Collins because it's just what is he there for outside to cater to Lucas Chilito right now? I see your argument in a vacuum, Tony, but when you go and step back, look at the broader picture, um, I think it's going to be clear as day that the offensive production that you do get, granted it's, you know, kind of inconsistent, a little sporadic, obviously a split there, uh, but it's going to be the, you know, what you need, um, in a backup role, especially since Yasmani Grandal will bring that defensive level back up. Um, you know, not now we're, you know, right now we're comparing Sebi Zavala just to Zach Collins. Well, when you have Yasmani Grandal back in that mix, uh, you're going back to another, you know, guy who is above average defensively, especially in framing. So, um, th- that's just my take on it when you take the full step back and look at the broader picture, uh, and overall production. Um, I love seeing Sebi get job done tonight. And hey, if you continue to do that and somehow finds a, you know, like Adam angle looks like he randomly found a magic spark in his bat in the middle of 2019 if somebody's of all were to have that sure i think we could have that conversation but if his hitting keeps up like it's uh you know kind of projected to and what we've come to expect from Sebi Zavala. Uh, I think it, you know, that, that kind of puts that meatball take to rest in, in reality. But I do see, I do see the crux of the argument there, Tony. So um glad we got to air that out. All right. Let's just, talk about- I'm just bringing the takes. Yeah. That's all. You, yeah. you got to You got to be careful there, Tony, though, because you may have certain family members of, 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 pitcher pitchers on this team sliding into your mentions now. So you just, you got to be careful with these kinds of takes. Yeah. We'll have discussions. 
<laughs> Guys, let's, let's talk bullpen here. Uh, Michael Kopech comes in to start the seventh inning, um, and he has no problem with that one. There was a double and a walk, uh, no damage, though, able to work out of that. And then he bats uh, when his turn comes up in the order there. So obviously planning on leaving him in, uh, you know, for that next inning there in the eighth. Um, you know, we, we've known that. He's now good to go on back-to-back days. He's good to throw multiple innings. I know he has done that in previous instances before. Uh, but he comes out, walks the first batter of the eighth. Um, and then we go to Liam Hendricks, who masterfully, uh, masterfully shuts the door uh, with the six-out save. So uh, we'd love to see that from one of your only consistent pieces uh, in the bullpen here. But let's talk through the situation a little bit here, um, you know, because at, at any time there's a decision like that where pitchers hitting in a late spot in a game, uh, open to criticism. Let's say that. That definitely was, um, I would say, a very interesting uh, set of decisions there. And I'll even take it back a step further. You know, you, you look in the seventh inning when uh, Taylor hit that leadoff double that Brian Goodwin couldn't catch. Tony, you and I were texting about this. Why was Brian Goodwin still playing center field at that particular time in the seventh inning of a two-run ball game there when you had Adam Engel and you had Billy Hamilton there available on the bench. Um, so that, that was kind of the first decision that, that I looked at that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then obviously when you go to Kopech, you know that that pitcher spot is due to lead off in the eighth inning there. So I was almost thinking like, okay, is there going to be a double switch? Or are we going to see Collins come in for um, Sebi, you know, d- defensively here so that, you know, they, they kind of limit, um, you know, the, the pitcher spot coming up in the, in the batting order there. And then, you know, Kopech, obviously he gets through that seventh inning and then he hits to lead off the eighth and gives up that walk, you know, to, to lead off the bottom, the bottom half of the inning. And then Tony takes him out right away. So there's definitely a lot of room for second guessing um, from a tactical standpoint, from a guy that spent a number of years in the national league, obviously, but I mean, it ultimately worked out in the end, but uh, definitely some, some head scratching moves, I think from my perspective. So I'll I'll give the the um, the center field uh, with uh, with Goodwin out there instead of Hamilton uh, or even Engel. Uh, I'll give that some credit. I I did question that myself. Um, I thought that there was arguably a move you can make at that point in time to bring in some better defense in the outfield because. Goodwin in center, he's just he's he's not as quick as either of those guys, and he's not as good with the glove as either of those guys are. And I think that some of that's going to get put to rest when you have Luis Robert back in the outfield. I think that that that's your that's your key right there. You're going to have a, a a guy that can go all nine innings and not have to be replaced for 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 defensive abilities, and that lets you deploy depending on who's on the roster. Uh, Adam Engel or Billy Hamilton into your corner outfield spots and gives you one of the the quickest, fastest, best defensive outfields uh, in the major leagues, in my opinion, in late inning ball games. If if you have to deploy that, um, but the I think the Kopech usage thing you can you can kind of question it, but if you look at his usage, uh, you go back his last game that he pitched in five days ago. He went two innings. I forget who brought it up on a broadcast the other day. Uh, where they were talking about Michael Kopech's usage down the stretch, uh, where he either is, you know, planned on to go one inning over the course of either back-to-back games or, or two in, in, in three days, um, and then or uh, use him multiple innings and kind of stretch him out over the course of four to five days. If you look at that and and you take that into consideration, I'm I'm pretty sure what their plan was is to go th- for Mike for Michael Kopech to go two innings tonight. Now plans change. Plans change all the time. I, I I don't think it's in Tony LaRusse's hands that Michael Kopech walks that first batter uh, of the eighth inning. There, uh, you kind of force the hands there. I mean, a lot of people who who question this move are the same people out there questioning why Liam Hendricks isn't used in the most valuable situations, spots where you need him to go shut things down. And that's exactly what Tony LaRusse did. Even a guy who's been very critical of that, and that's Jordan Lazowski, was out there on Twitter tonight talking about how. It was good for Tony La Russa to go to, to Liam Hendricks there in the eighth inning after Michael Kopech walked that batter. Now, I, I'm not in the dugout. I have no idea what the discussions are between Katz and La Russa or, you know, what's going on there. But you have to remember, this isn't all just Tony La Russa, you know, mismanaging or doing all sorts of stuff. Katz is involved in this situation. There are other members of the coaching staff who had faith in Michael Kopech. And most White Sox fans – have had faith in Michael Kopech as your de facto guy behind Liam Hendricks. 
you want him out there for two innings. I want Michael Kopech pitching multiple innings. That's the, that's the strategy they were deploying tonight was that Michael Kopech was going to go out there in the eighth inning and get you some outs and save Liam Hendricks arm. He wasn't able to get the job done. You can question all you want about, you know, throw Garrett Crochet in there. Well, fuck man. If Garrett Crochet comes up in there in the, in the eighth inning with a clean inning and, and blows it, what, what the fuck are we doing here? You know, there's no, there's no guarantee that a pinch hitter is going to come in there and do any better than Michael Kopech did at that point in time. The Brewers have a good pitching staff themselves too. It did all work out in the end. But what really, really grinded my gears during this is the fact that the ESPN broadcast, who's basically watched no White Sox baseball all season, threw so much gasoline on the question TLR fire tonight during the eighth inning and while this was all ensuing, that you would think that like the world was burning down when you have Liam Hendricks waiting in the winds there to go out there and get you that six inning save. I thought Liam Hendricks was billed as a guy that can go multiple innings. I thought that's what we were getting. We used them tonight. It worked. That was the, I mean, you have backup plans right there. This was your a squad bullpen. It worked out and a story. So I don't know where the questions come from in that regard. Yeah, Tony, I like that uh, you bring up the backup plan there because it's like, you know, sure, it plans can go awry. We've seen that. Just look at wild card game three last year. Uh, you know, plans can go uh, for unforeseen circumstances for guys just losing command or whatever it may be. Uh, but the backup plan was there, and that was Liam Hendricks going six, and that's only the second time he's done it this year. Uh, I'm glad it was tonight in Milwaukee instead of in fucking April against the Texas Rangers or something. That's my. Well, I, that's I saw I'm somebody at. out there asking, who are we? going to in the eighth ninth tomorrow we're we're facing the royals you're you're supposed to be up by five six runs give it to ryan burr give it to somebody but i i want to bring up the fact that like the bullpen does need help rick Hahn should be on the phone for a bullpen piece right now i don't know what's out there or what that's going to cost but if if we are only relying on michael kopak and Liam Hendricks to get through a playoff series, we're going to have some problems. Either somebody internally has to step up, Aaron Bummer, just to get a first person right here on my radar. Like somebody's got to be better in that bullpen and be trusted in these situations. The White Sox offense also needs to give these guys a little bit more support. Today was way closer than it should have been. Um, for all the talk of how this was a hitter's paradise park and the windows were open and the roof is open, we should be hitting balls out. I watched a lot of balls die out there um, all weekend. The one Jose hit today looked like it was an absolute missile that should have been way out of the ballpark. There was a lot of dead air there, at least when I was sitting on the left field side. Uh, a lot of dead air there. It just felt so humid and dense. And like everything that, that looked like it jumped off the bat just went to die. Um, so I wasn't really too shocked that that died, but there was a lot of talk on the broadcast again about how things felt like a launching pad there and a great place to hit. It seemed very hard to hit a home run. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, fucking five runs all weekend. That, that's not not ideal. Um, you know, well, luckily they were able to pull out a victory. Not much needed one salvage uh, series. Obviously still lose it, but, you know, better than getting swept. Um, we know that. So, uh, yeah, the offense needs to pick it up. But luckily there will be reinforcement on the way tomorrow and a big one at that. Um, guys, let's talk about Eloy Jimenez returning to the team for this four game set in Kansas City. Uh, hi, mom. Eloy. This could not come at a better time for this team. Um, you know, obviously we kind of see they're going through a little bit of a malaise here uh, coming off that twin series. And then this weekend with Milwaukee, obviously Milwaukee higher caliber pitching uh, than what they've seen previously, but starting to get some of the reinforcements getting back. You're going to be closer to looking like a fully functional team that we anticipated that we're going to see coming into the season here. And I also think it's a good decision to get him these four games against Kansas City on the road. Uh, one of the things that I was concerned about a little bit, and you know, there was a lot of speculation going that he was going to use the full 20 days, which would have brought him back for this coming Friday at home against Cleveland. And I thought it just made sense to allow him to get some at-bats, get his feet under him on the road there in a little bit of a less pressure-packed environment so this way that he's not just getting thrown right into the fire. Home crowd, 
division rival, a team that's trying to chase you down there. Maybe he's trying to go out there and do a little bit too much against against that Cleveland Indians pitching staff. So I think it's going to be nice for him to be able to go out there for four games, get you know, 12, 15 plate appearances before he steps back in that box at uh, 35th and Shields. And you know he's going to get a standing ovation, so you know he's going to be pretty pumped up and amped up and try, maybe trying to do a little bit too much. So um, I think this is a, a good move to get him back in this lineup starting tomorrow. I do as well, Steve. And I, I kind of was on the impression that he was going to beat this timeline. Uh, it seems like these White Sox players who have been injured, with the exception of Nick Madrigal, um, have kind of beat their timelines. Uh, in you know, you look at Luis Robert, uh, he's ahead of schedule. Yasmani Grandal looks ahead of schedule. These guys want to be part of this, they want to be part of what seems to be a magical season on the South side. Um, and they're all hard workers uh, and they're all athletes in, in the best shape of their lives. Um, recover from things a lot quicker than uh, a guy like myself uh, or, or, or any of us here, uh, maybe outside of Steve, cause he's a physical specimen, but um, you know, yeah, like there's, sure. <laughs> there's, you know, there's just, there's, there's so much energy with this team right now, Steven. I agree. Getting him those at bats on the road are going to be awesome. Uh, I am sure that there's going to be a welcome reception for Eloy Jimenez all next weekend. Um, but you want to see him back in the lineup as soon as possible. So it's not even just about getting him um, at bats before he gets home. Like this offense, as we saw over the weekend, could use some help. This is a major addition. Somebody that we thought could be out for the entire season uh, at one point. So, you know, getting him back right now for as well as the Sox have performed and adding him to this lineup, like you don't even need full production Eloy for this thing to be even more dangerous. Him at, you know, 60, 70% is still probably an above average major league hitter. Let's get him in the lineup. Let's get him hitting bombs. And as you say all the time, Steve, ball go far, team go far. Uh, guys, I'm so excited. I mean, it's just such a massive piece of the lineup that we've been missing for so long. We talk about the White Sox, you know, they mentioned on the broadcast, uh, second to last in home runs in the American League. Uh, last, you know, they're in like the mid-20s range uh, among all baseball ranks there. This immediately uh, adds a power threat right in the middle there. And then that benefits guys around him too. Because, uh, you know, if you're trying to pitch around you, boy, then maybe that opens up better pitches for uh, the guys ahead and behind him. So uh, I can't wait for it. And good points uh, that you brought up, Steve, about, you know, kind of the mental aspect. Because well, let's be realistic about this. We love you, as a player we love the production he provides but he's a little bit immature let's just call it call spade a spade that's what it is he's a little bit immature and the that sort of environment of coming back home right away i believe uh, would lead to what steve said maybe trying to do a little too much um and you know unfortunately when Eli tries to do a little too much too sometimes that results in him getting injured and obviously you know I think it's going to be DH at least to start, but you know, uh, fingers crossed he doesn't get out in the field for your sake, Tony. We'll be hearing about that all all, all damn show uh, if ever that happens. I'm sure it will at some point. But um, even on a swing or something like you know, it was a torn left pectoral muscle, so or a tendon that can with a long swing and finishing through. You know, if you're overexerting it, that that could be reaggravated in that same area. So, uh, I agree with the points that you guys made there. But going to be great to have the big baby back uh, on the White Sox active roster here. So, um, we'll be interesting to see what the official move is. Um, obviously, it was Tony Lewis, so just announcing that to the media before today. Uh, check on tap sports.com uh, and the Sox on tap Twitter page for uh, all that stuff. And what do you guys? I just want to ask you guys real quick. Who do you think the corresponding move is going to be for Eloy Jimenez? It, it has to be Jake Berger. I, I just I don't see where else the plate appearances are coming from, um, especially with Johan Mankata playing third base there. Unless they are going to show a willingness to maybe try him at second. I mean, maybe then, you know, you think about Danny Mendick, but um, Tony has shown more of a willingness to use Mendick at short than Lairi this year. So in my opinion, I just think it's it's got to be Jake Berger at this point. Yeah, I just look at minor league options. Most, you know, uh, and Gavin Sheets is hitting too well and that, you know, you're getting a righty bat. So you send down a righty bat. You want to keep Gavin Sheets around for some lefty power. Jake Berger is my move, too. That's who I thought it was going to be. I just, just there's some internal discussion uh, in my own head about where this is going to go, because you've got Luis Robert coming up shortly there behind him. So I'm going to ask the same question to you guys. Once he comes back, say Berger's the guy you send down. Who's next? I think at that point, it's probably Brian Goodwin, if we're being completely honest. Well, well, 
let me let me preface that if Gavin Sheets continues to hit yes. um, the the way he has hit to this point, I think it has to be Brian Goodwin because he's not going to give you a lot of defensive value, and <clears throat> the bat has cooled uh, significantly here over the last couple of weeks now. I'm not sure they're going to be able to pass him through waivers, to be completely honest with you. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, I, I just I don't know that they're that they would take a chance in sending Gavin Sheets down right now if he's continuing to produce. Uh, that doesn't seem like something that Tony would be willing to do at this point. Because um, let's be real, we're just trying to win fucking ball games here. We're trying to win an American League pennant. Yeah, that- yeah. I had a nightmare last night that they sent Gavin Sheets down, <laughs> and then I woke up. Yeah, I mean, you're going to still have some time, too. Let's let's think realistically here. Robert is still, you know, a few weeks behind uh, Eloy in that whole, um, you know, scenario of where he's at in the rehab stint. So um, you're going to have some time to decide that. And those guys can help decide it themselves by either playing well, uh, you know, worthy of that roster spot or uh, cooling off and being, okay, if you have an option, you're going to be the one to go. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and when the exact time is uh, for Luis Roberts' return. Obviously still uh, kind of in the earlier stages of that uh, rehab stint. So um, that'll be interesting, though. But once again, Eloy returning to the team on Monday. So let's talk about this game Monday night uh, in KC. Uh, start of a four-game series. It'll be 7.05 p.m. Central Time start. Um Dallas Keuchel for the White Sox, Mike Miner for the Royals. Steve, what do we got in this matchup? We got a couple of southpaws that are that are not necessarily hard throwers. Got to be a little crafty, use a lot of cunning, a lot of guile. And the Royals are a team that has been struggling of late. So Diamond Dallas, go out there, don't dick around, challenge these guys from the outset, pound the strike zone, avoid that pivotal inning that he seems to have had in almost – you know, a majority of his starts this year where that command and that control just kind of drifts away from him. You got to prevent that. You got a bad team. You got to kick them while they're down, kick them in the nuts, go out there, get a dub. Steve, I like that you brought that up. It's It, it almost seems as if uh, Dallas Keuchel and Dylan Cease suffer from almost the exact same thing. And I know Cease can bring it, but both of those guys' stuff is based on movement and and, you know, pinpoint control. When they're on, they're on. Those things just, for some reason, come back to bite them in one large inning. And that's been their problem, at least this year uh, for Dallas Keuchel. But for Cease's entire career, how do you you get around that, Steve? You were a pitcher, so let's take you back to your your prime days. and, And how do you get by that? I think the biggest thing is you just have to go out there and you have to have a mindset that you're trying to prevent every guy from getting on base. So whether you go out there and you have a three run lead or a four run lead, you got to focus it almost as if it's a zero zero game and that you have to make quality pitches with pinpoint accuracy each time you get the ball and you just can't let your guard down and think, okay, I can, you know, kind of take my foot off the gas a little bit because we got a a little bit of a lead here. You got to go out there and you have to have every pitch come out of your hand with intent and with focus. And you, you have to just ultimately believe that you're going to get every hitter out and you have to approach it that way. So you're telling me that they need to talk to Lance Lynn more. (laughs) I wouldn't rule it out because let's be real about this. Lance Lynn, he's got that mindset. And I've talked about this, uh, I mean, seemingly every time that we've been together here, boys. Lance Lynn, he's got the mindset of, I'm going to take the ball. I'm going to shove it up your ass. And there mm-hmm. ain't a damn thing you can do about it. I don't care if it's Mike Trout. I don't care who else is in the box. It could be fucking Babe Ruth. I don't give a shit because I've got the ball and you're not going to beat me. That's that's the one thing I want to see from our, our control guys, our, our guys with that nasty stuff, like Dylan Cease, Dallas Keuchel. I want to see that same attitude from them that you get from the fireballers on this team, like Liam Hendricks, like Lance Lynn, like Michael Kopech, that fuck you, you're not going to touch this. It doesn't matter if it's going to be 100 miles an hour uh, up and in or a nasty breaking ball. I want that fucking same energy from these guys, and I feel like if they just let themselves loose a little bit more – and had that attitude towards it, maybe they're going to avoid some of those innings. Thoughts, guys? Maybe that's just me talking out of my ass here, but I feel like both of those guys lean timid more on the mound. When when you have those innings, it just feels like they lean timid. And if you look at a guy like Lucas Giolito, you've got you've got like Jekyll Hyde shit going on here. You've got sometimes it's fuck you stuff, and other times he's pouting around on the mound where he doesn't know who he is, and you see more of the the timidness in, in the big innings 
you got to trust your stuff is what you're like, is what you're going at, Steve. I would say don't don't undersell Tony. Don't say that, you know, it's just like a random like, you know, thing. that's like, you know, are you crazy talking about? It? No, Lance Lynn himself has said this and he's, you know, a mentality that he's trying to instill among these pitchers. You know, he had talked about this was in maybe mid late May when he's talking about addressing the mentality of the whole starting staff. Um, and you're saying that you got to have the bulldog mentality. Obviously, we know that he embodies that to a T, um, but, you know, it's instilling that and, uh, you know, like you said, I think it's very legitimate that these guys need to talk to Lance Lynn more and they need to let, uh, you know, let it out, let the emotion out a little bit. I think that could help. Uh, and it also kind of deflates the other team, too, especially, you know, you get a big K. Like, I'd love to see, like, one time, maybe like a, you know, he's probably not going to scream, but like a Dylan Cease, like, fist bump or something. Like, it, and, and this is, this, this goes back to just me watching Dylan Cease play disc golf over the All Star break. And he had so much emotion there and fist pump, like screaming at the top of his lungs. I mean, you bring that emotion after you drop a hammer on, I don't care who it is, Jose Ramirez, and he strikes out. You see that from Dylan Seas. That's going to, A, pump up the crowd. It's going to pump up your bench. It's going to pump yourself up. Get the adrenaline flowing just a little bit. Uh, I, I think both of those guys can can bring that. I mean, obviously, I've seen it from Dylan Seas. I want, and and maybe that's not how he is when he's on the mound. Maybe they, maybe he feels like he's out there. He's just doing his job. He's trying to get things done, um, you know, in his own way, and that's his mindset. But I think that there is something to be said for that "fuck you" attitude. You're not going to touch this. Uh, that brings the competitive edge that you see from a guy like Lance Lynn. So that's why I say, like, maybe they should talk to Lance Lynn more. Let it out. Just air it out. This there's so much, you know, that goes into that that mental edge in this game and you want to see it it can inject life into a ball game that feels lifeless like look Correct. the Red Sox looked lifeless the first two games of the series but you get your big fella you get your big personality on the mound tonight and that just brings a different aura to it obviously maybe call it a little lucky like yeah sure what are the chances that Lance Lynn would have gotten hit there based on his career numbers at the plate from his time in St. Louis. But yeah, sure. That, that plays into it, but it, it gives the rest of the team an edge. You didn't see shitty mental mistakes today. Um, there, there was no like, you know, egregious errors. Like there were multiple of on Saturday night. So um, you know. this made me laugh my ass off in my own head. <laughs> Every pitch should be like the last pitch before Tommy John surgery. That's, that's, a. I mean, Okay, I, I, I like that. You know, the pitch like it might be your last pitch. Have the emotion that everything might be the last time you throw baseball in the major leagues. Have that attitude. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. Good way to do some winning mentality. So, um, guys, uh, this series, uh, it's obviously taking place at the beginning here of trade deadline week. Do we think Whit Merrifield or other members of the Royals exit before this thing can even wrap up? I still find it hard to believe that Whit Merrifield is going to get traded. Um, I had heard some stuff, and I had some people send me, you know, some of the um, the screenshots from some <clears throat> social media website that I'm I'm not really familiar with, uh, saying that I think it was the Seattle Mariners that were sniffing around with Whit Merrifield. Um, I just I, I still have a hard time thinking that he is going to get moved. Um, you know, the Royals don't really have a whole lot of trade pieces. I, I think, from my perspective here. Um, so I just, I, I don't know that they're going to do a whole lot, but I think the Sox, as we've talked about at length here in, in recent weeks, they've got to find some way to address this bullpen. I think particularly from the right side here, they need to have an impactful late inning, high leverage, right-handed reliever come into the mix. And I think also addressing second base, ultimately, whether it's Eduardo Escobar, Jonathan Scope, somebody like that would definitely provide further balance to this team. And it is really going to be incumbent upon Rick Hahn to act on this. And I think, and you can easily argue that this is going to be the most important four and a half day stretch of Rick Hahn's tenure as a general manager. And little teaser here, somebody may be writing a little something on that very topic for tomorrow. There you go. You know, I I don't know if if Whit Merrifield's going to get traded, but uh, you know, it would it would be really interesting to see that happen. One thing that uh, I'm kind of questioning is what is Seattle doing here? Are they going to add? Are they going to sell? What are they doing? Because they had a really good weekend. Um, they're in an interesting position. They've got a better record than the Yankees. What are the Yankees going to do? This is an interesting market. You saw Adam Frazier go to the Padres today. 
Um, and they're going to deploy him what it sounds like in the outfield. So they're getting creative with things. Obviously they're not done yet. There's, there's reports over uh, them adding more pitching. Uh, there was reports of them adding Craig Kimbrell. Not sure if that actually went through or not, but saw some, some talk about that internally um, and some on tap chats that were happening tonight. So the, the market is, is really interesting this year. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. Cause like you said, Steve, uh, they don't have a lot of trade chips and they want to get something. What better than to move Whit Merrifield? Because you're probably going to get a better return than what uh, what the Pittsburgh Pirates got for, for Frazier here. So if you get the right offer for him, I can see him moving. But it's just interesting to me that it's Seattle. Like what what is their – What's their game here? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to toss it to you guys on this one because I saw, I saw, and I don't, this is probably totally not uh, what's going to happen, but I saw Nick Madrigal's name being floated around White Sox Twitter going to Seattle that they're interested in him. Very, as very, well. very, very reputable source. Yeah, very reputable sources were saying that Nick Madrigal was of interest to the Seattle Mariners. It's like, what's going on here? Is, is that hamstring alive? <laughs> I, I don't know. So this is it's it's very interesting, and it is definitely fake account season as well. So there there's there's all sorts of rumors. Everybody loves rumors. We love rumors. We eat that shit up. Um, but I I don't see the White Sox parting uh, from Nick Madrigal and sending him to the Seattle Mariners for yeah for any reason here. Um, but it's just there's there's a lot of middle infield guys that are all over it seems like this year uh the trade rumors and everything haven't really seen a lot of big name relievers being moved around and when you talk about bullpen help like why didn't you know some reputable sources say that the white Sox are interested in craig kimbrell if he's actually on the block for the cubs i just don't think that there's gonna be another Sox cubs deal of significance for uh a number of years, I think, just given the nature of that trade that said, <clears throat> excuse me, that brought Eloy and Dylan Cease to the Sox, I don't think we're going to see another significant one here for for a number of years. And Craig Kimmore would qualify as a significant move, just given how strong of a season he has had in the Cubs bullpen. Really, the last year and a half, I mean, he's been one of the top relief pitchers in baseball. He's their one true cha- trade chip, and. I don't think the Sox have what it takes ultimately to be able to get him in the first place. So I think they're going to have to get really creative with what they do in terms of how they address the bullpen. Um, as I've talked about, I think in a number of post-game shows here of recent weeks, they just don't have the guys in the farm system that they need to make significant moves. So Rick Hahn is going to have to put on that big boy brain of his, you know, with his three high-level degrees and find some way to address this team, to put them in a position to win an American League pennant. What do you think the return that uh, they're going to get for a guy like Kimbrell is? As in, in, like, if we're, I'm not going to say like, don't go out there and give names, but um, in terms of farm system, like top 30 guys, like how many how how many top 30 guys is it going to cost, or is it major league ready talent? What do you what do you think that he costs at this deadline? I think I think he can probably get a team's a, a prospect in the, in the top five of a team's farm system and and then a secondary piece to it as well. Um, I mean, relief pitching is very important in October as, as we've seen over the last five to six years. And, you know, if you think about the teams that are maybe in the mix, I mean, the Houston Astros, for, for example, I don't think anybody really feels confident in that bullpen. Um, you know, if you put him in the ninth inning with that lineup, you'd feel a lot better about about their chances going forward here. If you put him back in Boston, um, you know, with, with the relief core that they have, you'd feel a lot better about where they are at ultimately. If you're the New York Mets, given all the problems that Edwin Diaz has had, he would be a very significant upgrade for for a team like them. And then you you know you look on on the West Coast with like the Giants and and the Dodgers, especially the the Dodgers, given the problems Kelly Jansen has had in the last two to three weeks, you know they're a team. They're picking up the phone. They're making that phone call. 
So I think that's the one guy that the Cubs are going to be able to get a significant return on. And like I said, I think it would be a top five player in um, a respective farm system for whomever they deal with. And then you're going to get at least one more piece out of it. I would say probably maybe in like the, the 15 to 20 range of a farm system. So, so that said, if, uh, if you're Rick Hahn and you know, like you, you laid out the, uh, you don't think that there's going to be a major trade between the Sox and the Cubs. Where are you looking to go get a guy who's going to be a reliable seventh, eighth inning guy to go help out Michael Kopak and Liam Hendricks, Steve? Like that, this is going to be a lot tougher than I think a lot of people make it out to be. Um, you know, like I know that we make the jokes about, you know, Rick Hahn's going to have to go put, you know, his, his brain to work here and go figure this out. But there's not a lot of names out there that are locked down even in high leverage situation guys on these teams that are out there, because there's plenty of need. Everybody's everybody has that need. And if the white Sox don't have those prospects uh, to go give that up, I mean, you're, you're probably talking guys like a Jake Berger or somewhere around that level uh, of almost on the fringe major league ready talent to go give up. Because I've seen a lot of people on, on that social media site that, that you no longer frequent, uh, you know, say like, Oh, Jake Berger should be untouchable. There's no reason that we should be giving him up, um, you know, for anybody. Uh, but you want to go acquire a guy who's going to be high leverage, a lockdown eighth inning, potentially a closer of some team that's selling right now. Those names aren't really out there and, and, and existing, uh, without paying some sort of price to go get. So this is, you know, it, to me, I look at this and say, like, there's certain guys on this roster who have to figure it the fuck out um, to really help this thing along. Yeah, trade trade, ac- trade deadline acquisition tinfoil hat time here real quick <laughs> is Rick Khan's building a time machine. He's going to get, uh, you know, mid-late 2019 Aaron Bummer uh, back in form here, just playing in the year 2021. You may need that. Because there's a lot, there's there's also the the same fact that people are saying this team's going to stand pat and that's going to be a crime, but I I, don't, I just don't know where you go from here. And I'm asking you guys for help because I can't make sense of it in my own mind. Wait a minute, I got to ask this question. There are people out there that have legitimately said that Jake Berger is untouchable. I'll let you go to that website. Okay, so. I'm going to need somebody to walk me through this here. Okay. So the White Sox have Yoan Makata, who they signed to a long-term extension. They have Jose Abreu, who was signed for at least one more year. And I think it's pretty clear at this juncture that he will be in a White Sox uniform as long as he decides he wants to be in a White Sox uniform. So he's at first base. Andrew Vaughn, who was the team's number three overall draft pick in 2019, playing out of position in in left field, is also by – by nature, a first baseman. Okay. Eloy Jimenez, we are now seeing, is being shifted to the DH spot. Nick Madrigal plays second base. Where are the consistent at bats and where's the consistent playing time coming for Jake Berger that would make him and deem him untouchable? What am I, I missing here? I don't know, but Steve, okay, so I'll I'll play devil's advocate here. Jake Berger plus something for Kimbrell. Like, why has that not been done outside of the vacuum that is, you know, the fact that there was a major trade made between the Sox and the Cubs uh, in recent years that, you know, may not be also the liking of the North side. The the simple answer to that question is because Jed Hoyer can do a lot better than Jake Berger. Okay. So, like, then that's that's all I needed answered there because I – I just wanted to know where where you value Jake Berger versus where they can get for what they can get for Craig Kimbrell. I, I just don't think that Jake Berger has a path to being an everyday player on this team or even being a guy that can get semi regular playing time. Like this is literally the type of guy that is either you know that is triple A depth for you or a trade piece to get you something that you need if you're trying to win the fucking World Series, which last time I checked is the objective of this team in 2021. Yeah. Well said. That's, yeah, I would never deem him uh, untouchable. That's that's me, but (laughs) we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting week here. Obviously, trade deadline coming up uh, at the end of it. So, um, 
guys, uh, filling out final topics here. Uh, Tony, tell us a little bit about the experience in MKE this weekend. Uh, I'll get to some extra fun stuff there, get our picks to click in, and then we will sign off for the evening. So one thing, Johnny, that you have said, uh, or or a segment that we've done on this show is cool shit you saw in White Sox Twitter, just White Sox land in general. Um, I had the opportunity to sit uh, very close to the White Sox dugout for the last two ball games before tonight. Um, and I, I watched BP, uh, both games I was there. Uh, there was a lot of really interesting stuff in that. But one thing that really rang home to me uh, was Liam Hendricks' autograph signing session that he did on uh, Saturday night, uh, right before the players went in during the uh, you know field prep time. So there was a kid who was standing down near the dugout um, as Liam Hendricks was the last one in and started just calling out Liam Hendricks, Hendricks ran, like ran over, like almost full sprint to this kid to sign a baseball. The whole entire team is back in the locker room, just getting ready for the day. And of, of course a crowd forms around Liam Hendricks. And I haven't really witnessed this with a lot of guys, like even me as a kid myself, like there's been times where, uh, you know, I used to walk up with baseballs and like some people just go away empty handed. Like, I'm sure you guys have experienced that yourself. Liam Hendricks sat there, or not stood there, and signed baseballs with a smile on his face for every single person and probably signed 75 to 100 autographs by the time this thing was done. And personally, like, stood there, took pictures, smile on his face, was having the best time of his life out there for all these kids. Some adults were out there, too. Um, I'm not going to hold any judgment, but he was out there building Sox fans, Liam Hendricks fans for life. And I think that that's so cool. I, I think that that's something that it's, it's very understated in today's game because he doesn't have to do that. Like that's just, you know, he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to be there, but he took time to talk to sign baseballs for, and, and just be a, like a good human being. Um, and, and a good White Sox player. I think that's, that's something that's so cool, and it, we don't talk about a lot of that shit on the show. We don't talk about you know players being good people and, and all this other stuff, but I thought it was really cool watching him sign baseballs, have fun with the fans. He was very appreciative that people just wanted his attention, and he wanted to give that back, and I thought it was just absolutely awesome. I had to shout it out on the show. Um, we, I tweeted something out from Sox on Tap while I was there when I saw it happening. He just looked genuinely happy to be surrounded by a bunch of people who root for the team that he plays for. And I think that that was just, just awesome. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but uh, that was the coolest thing I've seen all year from a, from a White Sox player. William Hendricks is a great baseball player and even better person. I mean, right as soon as after he signed the deal uh, over the offseason, him and his uh, wife were already in, you know, what can we do for charities on the South side? And they jumped right into that in, you know, like February. Um, and not even he wasn't even he hadn't even played a game in a White Sox uniform yet. And are you doing that? So that just you know speaks to his character. And like you said, it, it matters. Now the White Sox are getting good, more attention here. You build some, you get a kid experiencing something like that first, Anthony. Like you said, mm-hmm. I love it. I love the way you worded that. Building White Sox fans for life. That's what it's all about. You love to see it. Yeah, and that d- d- just the smiles on kids' faces, like getting to meet a big league player right before a game. Uh, getting an autograph, all that other stuff. Because everybody else just runs off the field or maybe signs one or two autographs and and moves on. And I'm going to go back to an experience I had with my own kid um, just two years ago. Uh, It was right before a tailgate that we all had, Johnny. Uh, And I've got a picture of it. Reynaldo Lopez sitting there looking completely pissed off to even be involved in an autograph signing session uh, for a bunch of kids on kids day. Like he, he wanted nothing to do with it. There's a bunch of guys that, that don't care for that. Don't want to be there. The team asked them to do it and they do it out of obligation. This was Liam Hendricks doing it because, well, he fucking wanted to, he could have caught hell from Tony La Russa down in the, in, in the, uh, in the locker room or any of the coaches, like, where the fuck were you? This was, this was long after the rest of the team was out there. It was like almost 45 minutes of autograph signing and everything. And he just went out of his way and the, the smiles on kids' faces as they walked up uh, the aisle, um, you know, holding the ball up, like, Liam Hendricks is now my favorite player. Like, I, I overheard that from, like, two or three kids. I just think that that's cool. Um, you build White Sox fans for life that way, and I think that that's a good lasting memory for, 
for baseball fans. And I think that there needs to be a little bit more of that in this sport in general, because baseball does everything to go out of its way to hurt itself. And there's guys like Liam Hendricks that just, they just get it. Um, you know, I think Tim Anderson is kind of in that, in that same boat and the why we're lucky that we have a good team, but we also have a team that, that cares about its fans and that there's certain guys out here that just want to go the extra mile to, you know, give somebody the experience and love the game of baseball. And I just think that that's awesome. And I can't say enough how appreciative I was to witness that situation. Look at this, a wholesome Sunday fun day here on Socks on Tap. You love to see it. I have to give credit where credit's due. Have to give credit where credit's due. Yeah, let's continue some, uh, you know, some Sunday funny topics here. Uh, my my version for cool shit that I saw in White Sox land is the tra- the way that the fans traveled this weekend. Awesome to see and hear so many. Um, I did not make it up to Milwaukee, but obviously you were able to. Tony, a lot of on tap Sportsnet contributors were able to make it up. Loved seeing uh, everybody enjoying themselves up there, representing the South Side. Uh, you know, unfortunately, even though the games didn't go our way first two days, uh, you you felt the White Sox presence up there just from watching on tv you heard it uh and tonight you know there's like a you know a reaction like i was like looking away for like a second and i had to look up because it was cheers and i didn't know if it was brewers fans or Sox fans cheering. and it was Sox fans cheering because it ended up being like a strikeout for the white Sox. and i was like oh my god like you know it's awesome to see that i know the proximity uh, where milwaukee is located uh you know uh just not too far from Chicago, one of the closest opponents we could play here. Um, but it, it's good that fans went out there. And you see, it's not just there. Obviously, not in as great of numbers uh, when you travel furthering further distances. But, you know, you're going to see some Sox fans on the broadcast when they're in KC. Guaranteed there'll be people out there. We've seen them in Cleveland already. We've seen them in Minnesota. Um, you've seen them other other places that they've traveled so far. So um, I just thought that was really cool. Um, this team was represented well uh, by its fans, despite the team not representing themselves well on Friday and Saturday night yeah Johnny uh in the stadium man it was it was actually pretty cool it felt like a home game um there was combating chance all weekend um let's go White Sox versus you know let's go Brewers uh, you saw some Brewers fans who were pretty upset about that but uh for the most part as 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 far as where I was uh everybody was friendly uh Wisconsin friendly and uh there was there was no issues. I, I do know that uh, the farther up you went in the ballpark, there were some some fights and, and different things that that took place. But uh, it was it was a good stadium. Uh, I know Steve, you've been up there before, uh, Johnny. I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, it, the stadium was was fantastic. Uh, the food underrated, and one thing that I just just desperately have to say is the smell of Comiskey Park is second to none there's no good smell from from miller park or what do they call it now uh, american family field or whatever it is you don't feel like you you're walking into a ballpark um when you're walking in there because the first thing i'm always greeted with as soon as we come over uh the 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 bridge that goes over 35th street is just the most wonderful smell in the world did not have that and the only brat that I consumed in the stadium was sub part of the brat I had in the Revolution Room, Johnny. I just got to drop that on Wisconsin right there. Well, they're not living up to uh, you know what should be a staple for them. The way they're talking up. Yep, Steve, you got anything cool in White Sox land that you've seen lately? Well, you know, one thing cool. Uh, just looking on, on our broadcast here, you know, you got me and Johnny, part of headband crew here. We got Buzz part of the headband crew tony when are you joining i can join the headband crew at any point in time i've actually got a few headbands um i may join the headband crew next time we do a, a show together if uh, if that's what you're requesting look i i feel like we've got no choice at this point you know we're, we're like the nwo you know buzz made buzz made the gift where he put us all on, <laughs> on on the various heads i feel like you have to do it right now you know, I, I'm just I'm rocking the hat, man. I'm, I'm a hat guy, but uh, I do have a I do have a few headbands. I've got the uh, I've got the junk headband myself. I've got the White Sox with the uh, the American flag uh, grayed out uh, behind it, and I, I wear it frequently, just not on the show, Steve. Okay, well, I've never seen that before, so I'm gonna have to then request it the next time you and I are on here together. I'll, and, I'll, uh, I'll oblige. I'll oblige right. just for you, Steve. All right, that's what. Listen, as as 
you know, the senior citizen member of <laughs> the Sox on Tap crew, if I can embrace it and and just go full blown stupidity with this thing all the time, everybody else can. There you go. And then I'm going to request a cowboy hat night on this show. It's all right. All right. That's fair. Oh, yeah. So, um, guys, uh, let's get some picks to click. Uh, we're about to wrap this thing up and then I'll do some housekeeping. If you guys have any final thoughts after your picks to click, go ahead and air them out. But who we got for this Monday game? Um, I would assume Eloy is going to be in the lineup. So there's an option for someone if they want it. But uh, you guys go ahead. I'll go third here. Eloy. That didn't take long. That did not take long at all. Um, you know, I feel like it's been a while since Gavin Sheets has hit a home run. Um, so I, I might roll with Gavin Sheets. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm having some trouble here. He kind of disappointed me this weekend on, on a few different levels. Um, but uh, one guy I really want to see leave the yard, and I'll, I'll try and stray from, from the Gavin Sheets stuff for, for just a minute, is Jose Abreu. I want some more MVP shit. I want some more long balls from Jose. I thought he really got close to one tonight. He's way overdue. So I'm going to – I'll stray away from Gavin Sheets for one game, and I'm going to go Jose Abreu. MVP shit time. Wow. Wow. I'm shocked that yeah, you're moving away from Gavin Sheets. I even, you know, it, granted you didn't respond to the message Saturday night, but I did pencil you in. I thought it was a pretty safe one since it's been your pick for like since he's been still worked. Still worked. I, did as, I did as a pinch hitter, and he did come through with a pinch hit single. Granted, the White Sox weren't able to get him around, but hey, he did his job uh, in his spot there, made the most of his at bat that he yeah, got. Yeah, but so. Jose might need a little yeah. love. Yeah, Jose no, no, no. no. I, I agree. I, I went with Jose on Saturday night. Unfortunately, uh, did not, uh, you know, work for him there. But hopefully, in Casey, I like that. You go and Jose Eloy, obviously for Steve, uh, the new flashy, shiny toy here. Um, nice to have him back for the first time uh, this season. Will be great to see. Uh, tough one for me to kind of decipher through, and also you don't really know what the outfield mix is going to be. Um, but I. Uh, I that I, I love him. I get it. Even though it's going to be hitting the, from the other side of the plate, he has now hit a home run from the right side of the plate already. Uh, he got that out of the way uh, when they were at during their last homestand. So it's one Mr. Yoan Mangata. There you go. I like it, Johnny. Yeah. So uh, final thoughts here. And then other than that, uh, I can get our little Ed reads in here and uh, knock this thing out. Steve, you got final thoughts. I'm still preparing mine here. <laughs> My final thoughts with this. Sox needed a stopper tonight. You didn't want to go up there and get swept. You didn't want to have to hear this bullshit narrative about, oh, Sox can't beat teams above 500. And uh, who better to turn to than Guts and Nuts Lance Lynn? He delivered tonight. Let's go. Final thoughts. Uh, it was it wasn't as successful of a series that you wanted in Milwaukee. I think the narrative still exists that the Sox have trouble with good teams on the road. Uh, but today was a good starting point um, to go out there and say that you can do it. So they need to build off that. Unfortunately, they don't have the opportunity uh, to build on that because they're facing the Kansas City Royals. It's time to continue to take care of business within this division. It's time to continue to pad the lead that you have on the AL Central. You're adding a just dangerous bat to this lineup. And Johnny, you brought it up earlier today, and I love what you said about it, uh, that uh, it's going to protect guys around him in the order. It's going to make it just tremendously more difficult for opposing pitchers uh, to work their way through this lineup. And that's what we all expected yeah. to see um, as we were heading into the season during spring training. That's only going to continue to get worse for opposing pitchers when Luis Robert comes back. He has Monty Grandal, uh, hopefully makes it back to this lineup. Um, but this is, this is where we have made our money. This is where we are just so good is within the AL Central. It's time to continue that. It's time to start a winning streak and continue on. Uh, you've got Cleveland right after that. Let's just bury the AL Central this next week, boys. Let's just fucking bury the AL Central and then continue to build off what we did tonight in Milwaukee. Take that Lance Lynn attitude and just be fucking winners for the next week. And let's have victory beers on this show all week. So let's do it. That's, that's my final thoughts. Well, great way to wrap it up. Hey, uh, you know, title of this episode, Lance Lynn to the rescue. That's a big, big time, uh, you know, performance from a big time player tonight. Um, love to see it. Uh, and he's the leader on this team. No doubt about it. Um, showed that, 
both on uh, on the field in his performance, both at the plate and on the mound, uh, and also in his general mannerisms, energy level, um, team morale kind of stuff. So um, that, that was excellent. And I really hope Eloy is a shot in the arm. Uh, I would imagine it's going to take a little bit to get, get comfortable here, but um, I hope that that can uh, ignite some power in here because we've talked about it. It's like, oh, when they get healthy, when they get healthy. It's like worst thing that would happen is if we're still middling as an offense when some of these guys start to come back. And I know it's not the complete, you know, picture that's going to come together right away. He's still waiting on Robert, still waiting on Yaz money, but this can at least be a little shot in the arm here. And I just want to see that uh, some immediate returns are always cool on it, but Hey, uh, let's get that warmed up uh, throughout this Kansas city series and carry it on into the weekend uh, when we're back home against Cleveland. So, all right, that's about it boys. Thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, Good to discuss a White Sox winner. Uh, they close this one out three to one on Sunday night. Baseball over the Brewers will be in Kansas City. Uh, check back for post game shows all week with us here at Sox on Tap. Uh, make sure you're visiting on tapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. You can follow us on social media at Sox on Tap and at on tap sports net the show is brought to you by grandstand make sure you are visiting grandstand 35th and wallace for all white Sox and chicago sports merchandising needs you can visit them and shop online grandstandsocks.com and they're doing a bunch of cool new hat drops uh, on their social media so follow them at grandstand socks see some of those sick new uh snapbacks they have a bunch of throwback logos um very cool designs that they have coming out there at grandstand so boys i only got three words left white Sox forever white Sox forever white Sox for life